You are listening to episode 68 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, this is Take 4, and I am joined by Ryan. Hey everybody, here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about our favorite games we've picked up, the best games we've ever played, and kicking the soldier right in the face, it's the Inflation Deflation Challenge. All right, we got a pretty special episode here today. Uh, we are actually going to be talking about some of our favorite gaming moments in our life. Uh, lots of nostalgia here for both Ryan and I. So, of course, we got to get it started with our recent pickups, our games that we're currently playing, and then we'll get into the rest of it. All right, I'll start it off, man. I'm pretty stoked on this. What'd kind you get, of, John? So I'm kind of stoked on it and kind of not. I mean, it's an okay game. I picked up Dracula of the Resurrection on PlayStation 1. Haven't heard of it. Yeah, you haven't heard of it, but you know how I know of it? It was in a magazine I read 10 years ago for official PlayStation Magazine, which fits perfectly with this episode. There we go. Yeah. There are going to be some forward statements here, though. Um, when you hear this episode, I will have just gotten back from being out of the country for several weeks. So the last few episodes everybody's heard are really just us recording in, in the past. This yeah, is... we, we, had to, we had to come up with some stuff to fill time. I hope you guys enjoyed all the different, uh, you know... Things we talked about outside of the norm, but we'll be getting back to you with fresh news next week. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's my pickup, dude. So, Dracula of the Resurrection. The one thing I recall from this game when I read in PlayStation Magazine was very difficult to find items that are in the dark because the game is so dark. That's what I remember. But the name Dracula Resurrection has just stuck with me for so many years. And just randomly the other day, just like Speedpunks, when I picked that one up, it was... Huh. I wonder what Dracula Resurrection is going for in price. Hey, look, it's 12 bucks for a complete box version. Let me go ahead and buy it. So that's really where that came from. Nostalgia. Kicked me right in the ass and made me spend 12 bucks. Yeah. Yep. Uh, It'll do that sometimes. And then I'll go into my currently playing and let you go into your next part. Uh, Shenmue, Shenmue, and more Shenmue. I think I'm at 40% of the game. By the time... Does it actually have, like, a percentage meter? No, I just... You're just I, guessing? No, I'm just guessing, yeah, based on, like, a guide that I saw. Uh, so, I'm probably at about 40% of the game. By the time this episode airs, I'm really hoping I'll at least have knocked out an extra, like, 10 15%. So, next couple nights... You uh, want to get past that halfway point. Yeah, so it's a Wednesday right now. I leave on a Saturday. I'm hoping to play at least, like, three or four hours extra over the next several days. And I'm not doing any of the crap like the gotcha pawns and buying random things. Like, I'm just trying to get through the story, get it over with, because I am not the biggest Shenmue fan, apparently. I, I don't know why this game is so successful. No idea. Oh, it's really not commercially successful? But successful from a cultural or, like, cult It's like standpoint. a cult yeah, classic. Yeah, like, a lot of people like this game, and it's really highly rated. I'm just not seeing it. Yeah, I, I asked... Uh... I guess I'm in the minority. If they thought, you know, what made them tied to the game, why they enjoyed it, because you were having a rough time with it. And it just seems like it's just not your cup of tea. Yeah. You know, there's just little things with it. It is kind of from a janky era, so. I mean, there's games on the Dreamcast that I absolutely love. Like, I played... Yeah, uh... I, mean, there's, I mean, there's always been great games, but like, there definitely was some jank for, like, that being... Kind of what it was at the time. It was pretty forward-thinking at the time, but it, that also means it probably wasn't done the best. Yeah, and I can see where it comes from, like, that revolutionary standpoint, right? Like, the graphics were great at that point in time. It really kind of 
was an awesome game at that point in time. And I can see where, like, if I would have bought it back then, I'd be like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing that's ever come out. Like, the graphics are great. The story's great. Like, all these things probably would have been much better for me if I played it, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago, roughly, in that time frame. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully the end is better than it's been so far. It's part of my new game's resolution. I know you'll be starting yours pretty soon. And after this, I'm really debating God of War on PS4 or Ark the Lad 3 on the PlayStation 1. Well, you were talking about Ark the Lad before. This is the first time I've heard you really mention God of War. Well, I've got like five games in my head that I really want to play. Uh, Agony is one of them. So it's, I'm thinking Ark the Lad. I'm leaning kind of towards it. But at the same time, I really want like a nice, really good, good gaming experience and like a god of war Mm -hmm. so i'm kind of up in the air on it but i'm leaning more towards ark the lad okay so we'll see all right so uh did you pick up anything during two weeks ago when this episode was first recorded (laughs) so uh gamefly coming through skipping straight past slay the spire skipping straight past shovel knight treasure trove i've got legend of zelda Link's awakening in the mailbox on its way to me right now uh i'm surprised actually well i found a thing that i didn't know or i didn't see before but there is a a preference thing that you can set to tell your queue to hold for three days or hold for seven days so if i return a game and i just want the first thing back i cannot set it or i can wait a little bit and see if one of those games might end up coming my way in the next couple days if not it will revert back so does it force you to put in like a queue no you don't have to so what if you only have one game sitting there will they like not send you a game that month i mean not until it becomes available that's stupid well and i mean that's kind of i guess that's kind of what you get because it's like if you went to blockbuster and they didn't have what you want you'd probably still get something true you know this just has a little bit of mail delay in the middle but one thing I will say that I am excited about, uh, it had a coming soon list, Hunt Showdown for PS4. I remember seeing that, I think, at 2018 E3, and it looked really cool. From what I can remember, it's um, one of those like survival shooter type arena games. I don't think it's like um, Fortnite and PUBG in the sense that it's like all on a giant map that is constantly shrinking but you have a character and you go through kind of it looks like it's I think it was set in like civil war times but it's got monsters and it's super spooky looking and you go through with your character and you build up their stats and get new weapons and gear and you can leave the arenas kind of when you want to after you've gotten enough stuff and all of your progress goes through but once your character dies you lose all your stuff and you start at the bottom again so you try to become more powerful and play through this weird online mode because it's all like pvp and pve in the same maps i'm pretty sure like you could shoot other people but you're better off working together but they might try to kill you to take your stuff So it seemed like a really fun game. So that's going to be coming out on February 18th, I guess, available here. So do they do limited run games, by the way? I have no idea. Look up Blasphemous, because I'm going to be getting that one, um, hopefully through Best Buy pretty soon. 
So Blasphemous, I know for a fact, was like it was a limited run in terms of how long they were going to be taking pre-orders. And then they had the one run, obviously, right? Like so, that? Uh, looks like a backwards three? Looks like a backwards three? No. Okay, it, I don't know. It doesn't have a picture and it says 331. I mean, I have Night in the Woods on my queue for a physical release, but it just says coming soon. Like, it doesn't... I saw it in there and it said coming soon, but it doesn't have a picture, so I don't know. Maybe they just promise things that don't wind up happening. Not really sure. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm excited for Link's Awakening. You know, I just beat Link to the Past not too long ago, and I think this game looks cute as hell, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> I just... I like that. I think this game looks cute as hell, so... Oh, it totally uh, Yeah, does. I'm all about that. But uh, for now... I'm still finishing up Final Fantasy XII. By the time this comes out, I will be done with Final Fantasy XII. But I finally hit a boss fight that I couldn't beat and game overed me. So now I have to go grind a little bit. I looked up in the strategy guide. I've only got like four pages left and it's all boss fights. So the guide recommends being level 45 and there's still just so much stuff that I haven't done. So I decided that while I'm grinding out those levels, instead of just literally grinding it out in like the field that it tells you to go grind in, I'm actually going to try to do a few extra things. I'm going to try to get a couple better weapons than what I have just to make those last boss fights easier. Because I'd like to level up, have a couple stronger weapons and just have to make one last attempt. I don't want to try to do this like three or four times and have to go grinding two or three times. So hopefully I'll be able to put a nail in that. I did do a rare monster hunt and actually had to like steal this thing without killing it because if you kill it, it won't respawn and you'll never be able to get another one. So I was able to get this one beast part. It's a cural whisker. And then I could go hunt some mantises in the forest, and then I could make a better sword. Because it has this system where... Why not just get the ultimate weapons? Because those are going to be way harder. That's going to be way more involved. Not necessarily. Yeah, I'm going to have to, like, do more things. And I'm not going to do this for every character. I'm just going to make, like, one or two weapons and just go grind in some different areas. And it'll probably take me a little longer because I won't be getting that, like, optimum XP, but... Getting those stronger weapons will make up for it in the end. I just, I don't want to do a lot more. I just want to, I want to do a little bit more. I gotcha. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll definitely wrap that up in the next week. I know I said that last week and I may have said that the week before. But... I think you did. And you said it two weeks ago from this recording day. I also so... said I would try to get it done by the end of last year. And if by episode sixty nine Ryan has not got it done, leave comments about oh, how he. Oh, uh, don't worry. I've got I've got weeks. I've got weeks to do this. He's now. got three weeks, you guys. If he cannot do it in three weeks, leave comments on our social media yeah. channels of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You see how I segued in that? Oh Ryan? yeah, everywhere at the Game Deflators, except for Twitter because they can't handle the. So just at Game Deflators. And of course, follow us on all of our awesome applications that are out there. Google Play. Are you listening to us on iTunes right now? Leave us five stars. Apple Podcasts, sir. Apple, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts too. Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere you can find our podcasts. We're on there. If we're not on there, tell us. If you don't have a review on there, leave a five-star review. Nothing less. Okay. So uh, we got to jump in this, man. This is all nostalgia. This is all our history. What we grew up with and how we came to doing the game deflators podcast in a room surrounded by nearly 2000 video games i thought it was all coming back to me last time 
Yeah, <laughs> little uh, homage towards the uh, previous episode. So, how did you even get into gaming, dude? So, <laughs> I I have terrible memory, but I don't remember how I got my first console. I just remember being young and having a Super Nintendo in the house, and I had. Mario World, and I had Donkey Kong Country, and I played Mario with my mom, and I played Donkey Kong with my dad. And they weren't, like, gamers, like, they weren't playing this on their own, so I assume they must have gotten it for me, but I remember being, like, three and four and having it, and not really, you know, having any idea what I was doing, of course, but I remember before I ever started school, like learning how to do things from like the neighborhood kids. Like I remember playing Mario with a neighborhood kid who was older and he showed me how to get into the secret house to get, uh, you know, where it's got like the Cape feathers and the Yoshi and showed me how to like get to star road and stuff. And I showed my mom and I thought that was super cool. And that's like really, I think the first engaging memory I have with gaming was that one. And then <clears throat> later on, I got a game gear from my grandparents and I was really young then too. Cause I remember I was on a trip with my parents. It was like a funeral for somebody and I got this game gear and I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And the worst part was like, I just don't have good memories of that game gear at all. Like it was truly a cool thing to have had back in the time. Uh, but I did not like the Sonic game. The Mega Man game was too hard and the baseball game. I just, I didn't care about it at all. And I never had six double A batteries. I mean, I remember times being a kid and going and raiding every TV remote in the house to try to play the Game Gear for like a little while, but that only goes so long. <laughs> so I personally, man, could go for hours and hours and hours kicking back every gaming memory that I've ever had. Well, how did you get into gaming? Oh, that's, Talk that's about the that real one. First. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. This is part of the memories, dude. All the memories are coming together. So, I want to say, it was one of the two that came first. Either I got the Super Nintendo first, or my cousins had their own gaming systems, and my uncle, who had an NES at the time, actually, he still has the NES. In fact, we'll, we'll start off with this. I'm pretty sure this is where it all started. We would go to my uncle's house, my brother and I, and he had an NES, and he had... Uh, what is it? Super glove or glove ball, right? You know the one I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. or you, well, you would use a power glove typically, but if you didn't have a power glove, it was just like glove ball. You pretty much had like this, it was like four sides. You had the top, the bottom, no, five sides. Top, bottom, left and right side, and the back, and you had to hit the different cubes of the ball, and you had to catch the ball. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to butcher me if I got the name wrong, but I think it's glove ball. And so we would play that all the time along with Duck Hunt. Mm -hmm. And so he had Duck Hunt and Super Mario. And I always recall going into his house and he would say, oh, the Super Nintendo stuff or Nintendo stuff actually is in a drawer. So you'd go to his kitchen and he literally just had in one drawer, he had two controls, he had the, uh, the light gun, and he had the two games. And that was it. Like that's literally all he had. And he would just play his Mario games. And so we would just go over and that's what we played all the time. And so at some point in time... It was a Christmas present, actually. So that's when I got it. 
and it was the Super Mario All-Stars Plus World bundle package that you could get uh, with a Super Nintendo. So my parents got me that, and I remember obviously ripping that open, throwing away the box, cursing at my younger self nowadays, along with throwing out my actual All-Stars box, and hooking that bad boy up, and... <clears throat> Dude, I played so much Mario 1, 2, 3, Lost Levels, World. It was unbelievable. I, I have so many memories playing those games. The first time I got to Star Road was just like a revelation, dude. Like how I learned how to get there. It was just my cousin, you know, just, you know, how you said with other yeah, kids. Yeah, back before the internet. Yeah, back before the internet, you went to your older cousin who... However the hell he learned about it, I guess he learned about it from his friend who learned it from his cousin. Everybody le learned it on a playground yeah, from some it, kid whose uncle works at Nintendo. Exactly. Like, it, it came from Nintendo and somehow went to your house through your friends People who would, would call you. those tip lines. Oh, yeah, dude. You had to I pay never by, called those tip lines. You had to pay by, like, the minute. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I remember. I never used those. Somebody I, I once knew actually told me that they called that tip line uh, when they were younger and they... I don't know how much their phone bill was, but it was crazy. Oh, I'm sure. How much they spent, their mom beat their ass. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that gives you an idea. But, uh, yeah, that's really how I got into gaming, dude. So, I have a lot of fond memories of playing, like, DK, DKC3 with my mom. Uh, a lot of that with her. Uh, Top Gear with my brother. Uh, my cousins and I, we would play Super Mario Kart all the time. And I always remember. So, my cousins were a little chunkier uh, when they were younger. So, years ago. And we, my brother and I would call Donkey, you know, Donkey Kong and uh, Bowser fatsos. Mm -hmm. And so my cousins one time we were like, oh, don't pick the fatso. And they thought we called them fatso. And they got so pissed and broke a control oh, and walked out the room. Oh. And my brother and I were crying. We're like, we didn't call you fatso. We were talking about the characters. Oh. And they were just so pissed. And I, feel like that's something, I feel like that's a mistake that I, I've made something similar to that before. Yeah. So that that's a good fond memory. And then, of course... Um, Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3. I played a lot of Lost Levels as a kid, which is kind of crazy because that game is like... Super hard. Yeah, like hard as nails. So I played that a lot. And of course, NHLPA All-Stars. I played that a lot, dude. Like, hence why I kicked your ass when we oh, did that Oh, yeah, episode. you wrecked me at that game. Oh, you, yeah. You said that you played a lot of that, and I believed you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I made the list. So a lot of great memories, dude. And uh, talking about memories, let's let's get into it, man. Do you have any specific memories that you're like super fond of or things that have kind of helped you not helped you but like you know transitioned you in gaming over the years like what has kind of been like that motivation on the back end that's like kept you going um well i've just always mostly used games as you know escape from stuff like it's always been fun to get lost in like a whole nother world so you know, but I've, I've not ever been somebody who gets, like, fully engrossed in games for too long because it's always something shiny, something new. So I feel like more than, more than really, like, losing it in games, I really like to just experience a bunch of different kinds, which is also weird because I spent a lot of time not playing games for the last few years before coming here. But from... When I was younger, I definitely remember that once I got my hands on a Game Boy and Pokemon, and once I got a PS1, that was pretty much it. And it's truly a life-changing experience. Yeah, also. I mean, Pokemon, for anybody who's listening who wasn't there when Pokemon happened, it was a total takeover. I mean, every toy, show, 
card and game that anybody wanted to talk about. It was all Pokemon for years. And like, dude, I remember collecting stickers of Pokemon just to collect stickers of Pokemon and have them in a notebook with people. And we would go on the school computers and we would print out the Pokemon stats and the pictures and have folders so we could talk about Pokemon (laughs) at recess. Exactly. Unbelievable times. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the first game that really like everything kind of consumed in my life about that game for a while and there's definitely been certain games at certain periods of time that have really done that like the uh back when 360 came out and playing tons of call of duty modern warfare i mean every day it was going home throwing on the mic getting on with the clan chat and just you know most of these people i never even knew in real life like I had my one or two friends that I played with and then the people they went to school with and we would just do it all day, every day. Like it got to be the point where I'm sitting in the classroom and I'm like, just in my mind, like, okay, I got a duck run over to cover spring up, like just playing it all through in my head. Uh, you know, just totally getting engrossed. We did the same thing with halo, uh, three for a while. I mean, that whole era of games really going online really kind of pushed it to another level for like gaming experiences and, you know, forming long lasting friendships based around video games. Like I had never as a kid, like, you know, you'd go play some Mario Kart or you'd go play some Tekken with your friends, but we did plenty of other stuff that wasn't gaming, but really having, like a core group of friends that the gaming is what brought us together was really a a life-changing kind of time. And I think all that going online and connecting and being the first generation to be 13 year olds cursing at older people online. It was a really magical time. There was a lot of cursing. All the 13 year olds that are cursing at older people now, you got that from somewhere. And unfortunately it was us. Oh my God, dude, just, the sheer amount of times I called somebody something on the internet in Xbox. And there is no record of any of that. If anybody, don't dig. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're not going to find anything. Yeah, they're not going to find anything. That was an era of dial-up. Uh, and some people had broadband, the lucky people. And I say broadband because that's really what it was. You either had dial-up or broadband for the most part. Uh, and some cable, I guess. So... For me, my memories, and this is really odd, actually, and I kind of already alluded to this earlier, my memories are based on demo discs. I have, like, 100-plus demo discs right now in my collection, and a bulk of those came from the official PlayStation magazine, but I do have some that I would pick up randomly and, you know, from friends and such, or when I would pick up a game, there'd be a demo disc involved. So the reason I bring up demo discs is it really did get me into RPGs for the most part, I remember uh, Final Fantasy VII demo disc, uh, Legend of Dragoon was another one, and my brother and I would literally play the same areas multiple times. We got to a point where we could blaze through a level of a demo disc, and there was like no questions asked that we had played that. It was crazy, and we had a lot of fun with it. You know, it was it was cool, and and unfortunately, like we couldn't afford a lot of games, 
So we kind of had to play like tons and tons of demos and watch different videos and like wish we could get those games. And eventually, you know, I kind of did get all those games Uh, for the most part. There's some like, do you have every game? You should get all the demo discs that you have. I have and then get all the games that are on all of the demo discs. If I did that, that'd be so expensive. The demo collection. Yeah. You know, actually, so I have all of my official PlayStation magazines, give or take, you know, five or six uh, that somehow disappeared or got damaged so i need to get the rest of those but those particular magazines i remember tons of games are like hoshigami is a game that i talked about in like an early early podcast episode i think like season one and hoshigami was a game that i wanted to play really badly and funny enough i started playing i'm like this is not a very good game and it was just it was on my list so really i've kind of got this goal Outside of wanting to get like all the PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 RPG titles and eventually three, I have like this goal to get all of these games that like I played at some point in time. Like whenever I remember one of those games, mm-hmm. I look back, I'm like, I need to buy that one. See, I only have like one of those and I know it's not going to be a very good game. Like it's definitely not going to live up to the memory of how many times I rented it from Blockbuster, but it's Dragon Seeds for PS1. I think I have that. I don't think you do. I think we've talked about this. Before. We have? Yeah. So I should buy it. It's. I think it was pretty expensive last time I looked. So I should buy it. Yeah. Yeah. But, and then like, yeah, I only ever had the one demo disc, so, and I never had like PlayStation Magazine, so I just like, most of mine was Blockbuster. You know, I didn't really own a whole lot of different games, and I never beat most of them, so... Mostly I would go to Blockbuster for PS1. I remember going sometimes, like I remember renting uh, Turtles in Time for Super Nintendo. And maybe maybe I remember renting that 7-Up game. Oh, Cool Spot. Cool Spot, yeah. But uh, I don't remember renting a lot for Super Nintendo. Dragon Seas is only like $43 apparently. So totally worth trying to pick up i think on ebay there's one right now at 55 see that's the thing it's it's a lot different for you to spend money like that on a retro game than me because it's like einhander is the only ps1 game i have (laughs) and i bought that a few years ago because it was one of the games on my demo disc that i had and i wanted to try getting that game and uh well i think i also have a lot more time on my hands than you do well, but I mean, like, you're picking up, like, my picking up a second PS1 game? Yeah, that's That's, that's a much bigger deal than you, like, throwing another one to the pile. Yeah, I actually posted a picture of the pile, like, the pile but that's it is over a, here. But it is a PlayStation 1 RPG, so you need to get it eventually. Yeah, I do. Um, there's really that, and then just several of, like, the higher price, like, the Tales of Destiny and the Valkyrie profile are kind of the biggies that are missing from the collection. Uh, along with Persona Revelations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the big ones, and unfortunately I don't have them. I've got some of the ones that have spiked in value, like Alundra, I think it was Alundra 1 or 2, spiked in value as of late. I got that for like 10 bucks years ago, just on a whim. It was like, you know, I want to start getting all the RPGs, so let me pick this up because it's one of them. Uh, And there's a couple that have kind of routinely stayed in like the same general price point over the years, and there's some that just are like, stupid like yeah stupid high persona being the one like major one it's high um going kind of back into these memories though so a lot of what i played obviously i played a lot of demos but some of the demos i played and the ones that are like most significant in my life that i remember are like going into comp usa 
So there's people on here that were probably born before CompUSA or after CompUSA, like one under. Oh, definitely. For sure. So I remember playing like Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast and Crazy Taxi on a CompUSA demo kiosk. Um, Driver on PS1 playing that in a Kmart, which there's still a few around, but they're going under too. And Madden. Okay, so this one was crazy. Madden on the PlayStation 2 had a... It came with... When you got the PlayStation Online setup, it actually came with a Madden demo. I want to say it was like 2004, Madden 2004, if I'm correct. And you could play that online just for demo. And it was like an exhibition game with just two teams. And it was like two minute quarters and that was it. But you got to play against other people. So I got to a point where I was just consistently playing online Madden and I didn't, I couldn't afford a new Madden. So I was just playing the demo online and that was it. And there were other people with that same dilemma. So it was just, you'd see the same names on there every single day, like, you know, playing the same Madden game. So dude, demos, they have wrecked my life in the past and they're wreaking havoc now. Cause I always want to buy everything that's on them. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, gaming moments that we recall the most. So we've kind of talked about a lot of them, but what kind of sparks your mind a little more? Like what really sits there is like, these are the defining moments that I really do remember the, you know, over time. Um, some of like the ones that really stick out as being like the best were, I remember going to like all the midnight launches were always like a ton of fun to go to because the GameStop wasn't too far away. We could all ride our bikes. There'd be like, a gang of four of us going up there. And I remember when the Wii was coming out and I had my reservation in at GameStop and the line cut off like two people behind me. Wait, you had an actual like Wii on reserve? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was playing Zelda by 1230. But it was just like, like shortly after that, I started working at Target and I remember laughing at people who wanted to get a Wii or I might've actually already been working at target cause it couldn't have been long before Christmas. And well, you know, we never had one. Like I would come in for the afternoon shift and anything that was there in the morning was already gone. Did employees buy them? I mean, maybe, but like I didn't, I got mine from GameStop cause I had it on reserve, but like just having, you know, being that first kind of through the door, like I used to love reservation, uh, and getting everything like first day and really being the one to, you know, be on the, the bleeding edge of it. But I've kind of subsided a lot now. Like I'm definitely don't feel that way as much anymore, but hitting that was such a high point. Whereas I remember when the Xbox 360 came out, I had that on reserve. I already had two games and an extra controller and I reserved mine in like July. I had to wait till March to get mine. I had a game and a controller and a headset and all that stuff. And three months after Christmas, I was still waiting to get my console. And it was terrible. Like, so having been on both ends of that, I think that those are, are pretty strong. And then something like, one of the biggest ones for me and uh, bring it down a little notch here uh skyrim i was so excited for skyrim 
But the day that Skyrim came out, my grandpa died. And it was, you know, super hard. That was like one of the the real big first losses that I remember having. I was pretty lucky growing up that, you know, everybody was pretty healthy and, you know, kept everything together. No accidents or anything in our family for the most part. So when, uh, when he passed away and it was this day that I was super excited, I had it all planned out around that. And then for it to go totally down a different path. But when I did pick the game up and I did play it, like I really appreciated the time that I had to be totally lost in a world like Skyrim was just like, I mean, it's been released on everything now. Like anybody who gives Skyrim crap now, I mean, it's, it's fair to, you know, poke at them for all the stuff that they didn't do right. And all the, things that have happened in the long life of that game but when it came out it was such a game changer and it just engrossed me so much that it really kind of helped me get past that and get you know around it in a way where I could go and when I was alone I wouldn't be thinking about it I wouldn't be a sore point and I've always kind of married those two together because of that and it's like, even when I play Skyrim now or think about it, like, that's really something that sticks out in my mind. And that's something that I'm always going to associate with. Like, Skyrim's a really amazing game. And that personal attachment to it is it's just something that I'll never forget. Yeah, I kind of have that with a, a POD CD, actually. Oddly enough, it was the last present my aunt ever gave me before she died of cancer. Mm. So, like, every time I hear that CD, like, that's the one CD. Like, even though I'm not a huge POD fan, it's, like, the one CD yeah. that if it's popped in, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's, like, some definite nostalgia here. Like, I know every song on the CD. It's crazy because I don't really listen to them, and it's just such a crazy connection. So I could totally see your point on that, man, mm-hmm. even if Skyrim was released on the microwave. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, for me, dude, a lot of my... Again, a lot of my gaming moments are really tied to, uh, you know, those demos and such. But I would say, so after Super Nintendo, you know, I, I have a lot of memories of walking like Toys R Us and pulling, you know, how years ago, like you didn't just, I, I guess it depended on the store, but Toys R Us, at least where I was at, you would grab like a slip of paper that had a code on it and there was only X amount of slips within like this thing. So it had a picture of a game you wanted. So say instance, Mario Kart, and that's actually how he bought it. And it had like 10 slips, which represented how many were in stock. So you take one of those and you go to like this side area that they had and they would just like go in there and they grab the video game and take your slip and then charge you right there and you were done. Mm-hmm. Like it's just how it worked at that particular location. You know, and I don't have a lot of vivid memories of that, but I do recall that being like a thing. You know, like they had like the stock and everything in the back and you would get the gaming stock. Now, over time, obviously, you had glass cases. Like I remember going to Kmart and picking up a copy of Final Fantasy VII out of a glass case and being like so excited that I got it, not realizing later on that I would regret picking it up as a greatest hits because I would want to get the black case. Um, That's just a preference, obviously. And, uh... Yeah, but I think one of the most defining moments for me, like that transition into, you know, 
better quality graphics. So like I played a PS1 after the Super Nintendo. I never did own an N64. So the Super Nintendo was my last Nintendo console until really the Wii U. I picked up a Wii after the fact, but the Wii U is actually the next Nintendo console that I owned. You didn't have a GameCube? No. Wow. I never owned a GameCube. I didn't get a GameCube till actually after my Wii U. So, I mean, that kind of tells you where I was at. I, I collected a lot of those games. I collected a lot of Super Nintendo and Nintendo and, um, you know, secondhand games like Wii games and such. Like, knowing that at some point I would eventually buy one uh, or get one at some point. But I never did own those. So, like, dude, I probably had, like, 30, 40 GameCube games and no way to play them. Like, I owned a Wii before I owned a GameCube, oddly enough. But, I like, I had Smash. And I would just, I had a copy of Smash. And I would go to our friend's house uh, in college who had a GameCube. And we would just, you know, load up the GameCube. And all of us would have, like, a small Smash tournament. Mm -hmm. That's just what we did. And I had the copy of Smash and nobody else did. Yeah. So, you know, it's realistically how that worked out. But really that transition for me was that PS1 to PS2 era. And I recall seeing videos for Final Fantasy X. And it was uh, through a demo disc I had. So it was a matter of like loading in the demo disc and showing people the video that was on the demo disc. Every time they came over. Every time they came over, like that's what I would show. So I remember it was like, I think it was like Thanksgiving. And my uncle was asking me because he had bought his daughter's uh, PlayStation 1. And he was saying, hey, you know, what What games are you looking to get pretty soon? I'm like, oh, I got to show you this one. So we popped it in. I just remember us having like this crazy conversation of like how lifelike it looked and how amazing the graphics were. Oh, yeah. And I had you, a memory card with like a save right before every video yeah. in that game. Yeah, I don't think I went that far, but um, I did that for like Final Fantasy VIII, oddly enough, like of all games to do it for. But I just remember him being like, so lifelike like this Mm -hmm. is crazy like how far graphics have come and now i look at that i'm like man i can barely sit through some ps2 games because they're just so crappy on the graphics like it's just difficult yeah and so i do remember that and then really one of the more defining moments for me uh from that graphical and artistic viewpoint was when eco was first announced and i have the official playstation magazine i'll show you later where it just kind of unveils eco and it just has everything about it and it just breaks down like how cool it is and the artistic direction and interviews with the director and such like dude these magazines were like amazing back oh then. yeah Absolutely i remember love the them. nintendo power spread on paper mario mm-hmm. and being so excited for paper mario like best buy was my favorite store ever back in the day at that time and i you know had my birthday money saved up i was so ready for this you know i always like i had it circled in the back the release date that it was coming out on and mom took me there and i had that box in my hand and i practically stared a hole through it because of course she had to go shoe shopping afterwards i remember sitting in this shoe store for what seemed like an eternity. It was probably more like just 10 minutes. reading this box so hard and just being so excited to go home and play it. You know it was pretty bad for me is when I finally did get my hands on Final Fantasy X. It was a pre-order and it was purchased online. And it didn't arrive until three days after the official release of Final Fantasy X. Ooh. Because I was at a point where I was just so scared that I wasn't going to get it. like, And it would sell out. I was Because this was like the best game of all time like coming out at that point it was like this is gonna be crazy it's the best final fantasy you've ever played and you don't want to miss out blah blah so 
I really got in this mind. So I'm like, I need to just like pre-order this thing because I don't want to miss out on this opportunity. And then it's like sold out everywhere. And I'm waiting for several weeks for it to come in. So I ended up getting it like seriously three days after the fact, which just pissed me off. Now, it did work in my favor a couple times where I got games early. It, like I think Eco actually got like a few days early before its actual release, which was interesting. So, you know, it happened every now and then in an opposite manner. But man, Final Fantasy X, when I finally booted that up and saw that first video, I could have collapsed right there, dude. Like, it was amazing, that first experience. And so that that really was just like a key moment. Uh, outside of that, though, man, a lot of friends and family that I played a lot of games with. So I remember having a friend come over uh, to my house and he just... It was the only time he ever came over. It was like my best friend. And he never came over outside of like that one time. He lived like 40 miles from me. I, I went to school 40 miles from like where my house was. So I had been to his house plenty of times after this instance. And he just came to my house with this like CD case packed with like 50 games on PS1. And we were playing like Twisted Metal, oh, Final Fantasy VIII, Metal. Dino Crisis. Like he's the reason I started playing Final Fantasy VIII and why it was so significant for me and got me into RPGs because I saw that game. Like, wow, this is like super cool. Like I need to play more of these. Mm -hmm. So I picked up my own copy of Final Fantasy VIII and the rest is history on the RPGs. But we just played so many games that night. It was just like Sub-Zero Anthologies was played that night, even though it was so crappy. We played Twisted Metal. We played Dino Crisis. We played some Resident Evil. Um, another friend I had played, um, what's that game that we had done? Uh, the school one, Rival Schools. Yeah. Like all of these are games that I played when I was younger mm -hmm. and have like vague or fond memories of, and I've just had to pick them up over time. And I think lastly, the, the one really key part of my life that I remember, and you've already kind of talked about it, Land Nights with Halo. Oh yeah. And Halo 2 and Halo 3. But I think Halo 2 was the best one because it was right when the internet started to kind of ramp up a bit. Yeah, I never had Xbox, but my friend did. And that friend's mom worked nights at an airport. Mm -hmm. So we could be super loud all night and nobody was home. And we would just play the hell out of Halo 2. My friend literally had two Xboxes so we could play it at my house. Yeah. And so we would hook up one in our upstairs area and we would... No screen looking. Well, yeah, definitely no screen looking on that. So we would finagle it to where it was like, and my house is pretty big when I was younger. So we had it to where we were able to hook it up directly to a router in one side of a house. And then we were able to do it through the other side of a house and play. Actually, no, I think with that one, we just hooked a long ass cable all the way down the house. I want to say we had like a hundred foot cable. Long ass cables make the world go round. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. We had a long ass cable that went from one part of the house to the other. And it was connected through at some point we had it connected through some sort of router of, of sorts. I don't remember exactly how we got it to work. We got it to work, though. And we would just play not on the Internet, but wirelessly against each other. So there was no screen looking. And, dude, that was a blast. Every single time that we had the chance to play, it was always like 2v2 or all three of us against one another. And it got to the point where, like, my brother might be on the other side of a house and my buddy and I were on our side. And we would just be like, well, let's not kill each other. Let's just double team my brother. And so he'd get pissed. And he's like, I'm not playing anymore. Like, I can't do this anymore because you guys are teaming up. So I would go over on the other side and be like, all right, well, then you play with Justin. Like, not a big deal. And so they would team up on me. It was just the worst. <laughs> um, 
and then obviously customizations on games in Halo 3 when it oh, really changing got crazy. Your, changing your armor. I remember spending tons of time trying to be clever with the uh, the flags and doing like, you know, a background as one color and then fading part of a logo into that color. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, stuff like that used to be great. Like, I love doing... Uh, did you ever really do... customizing the tags in like Tony Hawk Underground mm -hmm. and stuff with that kind of thing too? Did you ever do um, grenade matches? Uh, I'm sure I did. I played tons of stuff back in the day. I we I would... mostly just remember like we would customize it so only certain weapons were available. Yeah. So we would do rocket launcher matches. We would do sniper matches. Most of these online. Yeah. Uh, my favorite was a sticky grenade match. Yeah. So it was just grenades. That was it. Sticky grenades everywhere. And you were just like pumping grenades like all over certain levels. And you get to a point where like you recognize where those certain weapons are going to spawn. It's just like, all right, I'm going to run this corner. All right, grab my sticky grenade, hit somebody, jump to this other area, hide, sticky another person. It was crazy. We actually got to a point. We were so good at sticky grenades that when we went into actual like matches where it was just a general map of certain yeah. areas, we knew where every sticky grenade spawned. Oh, yeah. So we would just we'd be cursed at. Yeah. People were like, oh, my God, he stuck me again with a grenade. We were just so good with sticky grenades that by the end we would laugh because we'd have like 20 kills and it was all sticky grenades. Not a single like gunfire. Yeah. It was just sticky grenades. So... Dude, a lot of great memories on that alone. I'm sure you've got plenty of Halo memories. And I'm not a big Xbox fan. That's literally the only game I've ever like truly played on Xbox I and mean, enjoyed. If you're going to play Xbox, you might as well play Halo. I always told people it's all I had going for it, man. Like now you look at it and there's some great titles, you know, that we've looked at um, on the podcast and, you know, even just kind of gazing through my games. But for the most part, dude, Halo is the only thing that I ever played on that console. So, uh, well, I think we made some new memories, uh, obviously on the podcast, but in games that we're uh, playing. So uh, this week we played Hey Punk, Are You Tough Enough on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, this one's uh, not so nostalgic for me. I've never heard of this game. I've never seen this game. I'm glad I've never seen the cover of this game up until now. Actually, fun fact, this game is known for having the worst cover art of any Super Nintendo game. Uh, I do want to bring up before we transition, so if you are listening and you have any nostalgic comments, any crazy things that you did Let us uh, know your gaming, best memories. Yeah, let us know. Very curious to hear. Uh, we'll post this on a ton of Facebook pages, so we'll probably get some engagement on there. I think it's a really cool topic, man. Like, just kicking back memories of gaming and what got you started, your best memories, and, and honestly, you know, why you still play. So... Let's, uh, I'll let you go into developer, publisher, director, etc. So, hey, punk, are you tough enough? Both with two Fs. And one uh, E. Also known in Japan as Dead Dance, which is a much more interesting title. Or actually, it's a less interesting title. I don't think it's a better title necessarily. I think that the, the font and logo of this game are eye-catching, even though the art's atrocious. But anyways, developed by uh, Jellico, published by Jellico, director Yuki Arai, released in September of 1993, and it got good reviews. This game's got like an 80-ish, uh, and it's got really high praise as being one of the best contenders for a knockoff Street Fighter 2. 
it just never really made as big of an impact. I mean, Street Fighter 2 is probably one of the best fighting games of all time, and it really did a lot for home console fighting games, you know, kind of bringing that arcade into your house. And uh, this one did a good job at copying it, and it's it's a well-revered game in the fighting community, from what I understand. So, dude, I actually liked this game. Despite it being hard as hell, this game was actually pretty cool. Um, we didn't do too much outside of, like, the, the story mode. I did a little bit of that, and uh, we went ahead and just played some general uh, verses against the uh, computer. Uh, both Ryan and I, if we were to play each other, it would just be a terrible experience with us doing terrible punches and kicks that we have no idea what we're doing. Uh, but I would say that I was able to quickly find a combo, um, pretty much the equivalent Oh, he was of, throwing out shoryukens with the best of them. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was able to kind of start throwing out certain things. I was able to combo off a couple times in different areas. And it was really quick to pick up. It did have, in my opinion, a bit of a slower pace for it than Street Fighter. But, I mean, it's still not bad. Are you just bad. thinking of Street Fighter Turbo? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking, did you just drop some? Yes. Making I lots did. of noise here on the podcast. The Game Deflators podcast, it is. So, yeah, dude, maybe I'm thinking Street Fighter Turbo, but, you know, I haven't played Mortal Kombat for years. Really my favorite fighting franchise. Um, and then jumping into this, I did think it was a little slower. And the characters themselves, there's not a lot of options no, on this game. Well, there's like eight unlockable boss characters or enemy characters but obviously you gotta do a lot of story modes and stuff to unlock all those so we only messed around with the core four that you start off with and right away i suck at fighting games i'm terrible at fighting games especially old fighting games i'm so, not much better so i got totally obliterated i tried to you know i tried to do some footsies i tried to check my range against this knockoff vega guy and knockoff vega guy knocked my block off well, it's because you called him knockoff Vega guy. Yeah. He took offense to it. Yeah. So I played with fake Ryu and uh, also uh, fake Jade. Fake Ryu also looks like a lot like a fake Terry Bogard, too. <laughs> Dude. He's, he's knocking off more than one here. Yeah. He's the so franchise invader. That that was, uh, yeah, That there's just a lot of knockoffs going on in this game. So I could tell why maybe some people don't want it or don't want to play it because they're huge Street Fighter fans. They're like, screw that game. It. It's just like Street Fighter, but they're not just like Street Fighter, but it's uh, the great value version. Show. Show? Yeah. That hmm. that was the character you played. A 22-year-old oh, street brawler from Hokkaido, Japan. Now, if we were to read Ryu's, it'd probably be a 23-year-old street fighter from Tokyo, Japan. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, so I think the graphics were good, dude. I think the gameplay was a little slow pace for me. Um, the controls actually felt pretty smooth. I didn't have any problems with that. Uh, and blocking was pretty straightforward. I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was yeah, bad. Yeah, like the my competency at the game, you know, aside, the there's nothing wrong with the controls at all. Just that I'm not sure how to do them. And here's the thing: it was it was challenging. Like I could play Street Fighter, having not played that game. I have, but obviously, I could say like if I didn't play Street Fighter and I jumped into it. I would probably have an easier time getting through Street Fighter than I would on, hey, punk, are you tough enough? Well, and there's some extra stuff in here that, you know, the time that we spend looking at these games, we don't have enough time to develop, you know, an understanding of all the sim uh, symptoms, <laughs> <laughs> systems. We're not experts in the game, basically. Yeah, but uh, 
this game does have some interesting choices in it that it adds to kind of evolving the fighting game genre. Uh, as you go through the story mode with the different characters, they actually get buffed and uh, there's an RPG-like element yep. that makes their special moves become slightly larger and more powerful uh, as you go through the game. So it is kind of cool to see a game where they put in, you know, okay, we've seen fighting games. What can we add to that? Like, how can we grow these characters? How can we take these characters and give you an understanding and a baseline, but give you somewhere to go from there? And, you know, mostly what fighting games are is developing those skills and kind of Dark Souls, you know, get good. Like, the only way to get better at a fighting game is to get good and fight better people and learn from your mistakes. And I tried to do that with... Uh, fighting games in the past like but it's just it's too hard for me to break into them and i feel like you only have a certain amount of time of a window before the only people online are killers so uh this is definitely not a game for me but it might be a game for you if the price is right john tell them how much it is it's not very much uh loose copy of us on a super nintendo is running at 11 dollars. peaked back last year in july at 13 not too bad. And uh, from a complete in box standpoint, you're looking at $29 average right now and um, $37.95 back in April of 2016. So a little jumpy there, but it's still kind of holding in place. Same with the uh, $11. It's it's actually down from what it's been last year. Uh, not by much. So I'll say, man, at 11 bucks, if you were looking for a tough fighting game, one that you kind of want to hone your skills on and one that, you know, isn't your everyday run-of-the-mill title, 11 bucks, totally worth it. I think it's totally worth it at that point. Um, I would easily say if you were getting it at that $13, you wouldn't be doing yourself a disservice at that point. So that's where I'm at, dude. Well, considering that uh, Street Fighter Two for Super Nintendo is $13.99 loose right now, uh, I'd say that they're pretty comparable, and if you've already played plenty of Street Fighter and you love it, then I would definitely pick this up instead, because if you already know you like Street Fighter or you've already played a ton of Street Fighter, I'm sure that you are the type of person who would appreciate sinking your teeth into another very similar thing, and I don't know if there's any more of these games. I kind of doubt there is. Oh, there's plenty of fighting games. Dude. No, but tough enough. Oh, I'm not sure. We didn't so, look that deep. You know, it might be interesting to go back and see, well, what what exactly besides Street Fighter coming first and this being like a Street Fighter clone, like what held this back from becoming, you know, the next popular franchise or, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like people who like Street Fighter are going to like this. $11, you're right, John. That's not a lot of money. Uh, beware, the cover is ugly and it is known for being ugly. So I guess as a piece of uh, shock art, it works like that as well. Yeah, hang this uh, thing up in your room. Nobody will ever come in. There you go. That's great. Uh, so yeah, man, I, I'm totally stoked. Next week is episode 69. We're getting really close to 70. Uh, well, not next week. Uh, we're in the past right now. So in the future, future us, we will be recording episode 69 and soon 70. So what, uh, what do you want to play? You know... I'm kind of feeling uh kind of feeling some GameCube, dude. 
All right, so we'll get into some GameCube nonsense a few weeks from now, but uh, thanks for joining us as we've looked back on our fondest gaming memories and some of our not-so-fondest gaming memories and just uh, did something a little bit different again. But next week, we'll be back with the regular show. You'll get your news. You'll get an update on what I thought about Final Fantasy XII, after all, and how far into Link's Awakening I am, and John will still be uh, complaining about Shenmue, just like old times. Dude, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was actually going to say I'll be complaining about Shenmue. So uh, that is episode 68 of the Game Leaders podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.